You are listening to NTC Messina's podcast, where our desire as a family of God is to simply know God, love one another, and make disciples. We've been in in Genesis uh, for the last several months, and we're going to continue in that. We've seen, going right back to the beginning, the purpose of God, God's project as it starts in Genesis, beginning in a garden, and ultimately in Revelations, um, ending in a city. And we, we see this, this progression in how humanity, that we are God's agents, that we are God's image bearers, that we are created in the image and likeness of God to reflect God to the world and to, to present God to the world and to present ourselves back to him. And, and that's, our, that's our privilege, that's our honor. And we see in, in Genesis how the story gets off track very quickly, that people don't trust God. Adam and Eve didn't trust God. They didn't trust what he said. And we see that. We see humanity just at, a, at its worst in a, in a lot of areas in the beginning of Genesis. And then we come to the story of Abraham. And Abraham displays some incredible things, but he also shows what we all know, and that's that we all uh, continue to make bad and poor decisions, uh, but still this invitation to trust God. And this, this commandment that's given to Adam, where I want to start this morning, is the commandment that's given to Adam it becomes a promise to Abraham. And so going back to Genesis 1, this is the command, this is what's spoken in the garden to Adam and Eve. So God created human beings, Genesis 1, 27 and 28. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God said to them, to male and female, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Take what I've done here in this spot and take it everywhere. This idea that we see from Genesis all the way to Revelation, it starts in a garden, but it ends in a city because as we expand, as we, as we till, as we, as we create, as we build, we see, we see fruitfulness happen. And this is a, a command that's given to Adam, but then we pick up in Genesis chapter 17, and what was a command to Adam is made a promise to Abraham. Genesis 17, 6 says, I, God, I will make you extremely fruitful. Your descendants will become many nations and kings will be among them. I will confirm my covenant with you and your descendants after you from generation to generation. This is the everlasting covenant. I will be your God and the God of your descendants after you. This is a new promise. This is God wanting to bring things back on track, how he, he set things in motion in the garden but it gotten off track, and, and we see this over and over again. But God wanting to bring things right, to make things right, to correct course. And, and we believe that that is God's intention throughout all of history, that he is trying to bring, bring things back on track to correct course, and we get to be a part of that. It's getting back on track. And so where Adam and Eve failed, Abraham and his family, unfortunately, will continue to fail. But there is a promise and that promise that God makes goes all the way back to Genesis 3. And just to read this familiar passage again, and this is where Adam and Eve, they, they've, they've not trusted in God, and they listened to the deceiver. They've listened to the serpent, and they, they made a, a poor decision, an unwise decision. And, and God is coming, he's speaking to the deceiver in Genesis 3.15. Jesus is speaking to the serpent, and he says, And I will cause hostility between you and the woman, Genesis 3.15, and between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. And what we see in this passage is speaking about offspring and, and speaking kind of in, in language that can be sometimes difficult to understand, but God speaks 
about an offspring, a descendant, a seed that will come. And what's used there is a singular word. And what the original um, audience of Genesis, with the original people, they, they, they looked at this passage, and they weren't just thinking about Adam and Eve's descendants. They were thinking about a particular descendant that would come, a particular seed, a person, one, would come. It's a, it's a singular note here. And we continue that in Genesis chapter 13, and God speaking to Abram, and God speaking to, to the people. It says, Genesis 13, 14, after Lot had gone, the Lord said to Abram, Look as far as you can see in every direction, north and south, east and west. I am giving all this land as far as you can see to your descendants as a permanent possession. Now, if you look closely in, in your Bibles, and it's they're already written in small print, but usually there's an asterisk there next to the word descendants, and it's actually supposed to be a singular seed. How God says to you and to your seed, one, one that would come as a permanent possession. And what, what's been believed for thousands of years and what was, what was expected is that one would come, a seed would come, that God's not speaking about Isaac, he's not speaking about Israel, he's speaking about a Messiah, a Christ that would come. And how do I know that? Galatians chapter 3, Galatians 3.16, Paul writes, God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And this is Paul writing. Galatians 3.16, and notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children, as it has meant many descendants, rather it says to his child, and that, of course, means Christ. And so we take what Paul says in Galatians, and we read that back over the Genesis account. We read that back over the account of Abraham and his family, and we see that God is doing a work of putting things back on track. And he's going to do that work through a descendant of Abraham. But it isn't Isaac, and it isn't Jacob, and it isn't Joseph, and it isn't Moses, and it isn't David. It's Jesus that they're waiting for. It's Jesus that's going to do the work. And we're going to talk about that more as we go through. But the story of Abraham is a story of God making a promise, of God making a covenant, and Abraham expressing faith. And, and we, we, we applaud Abraham, and, and even in Hebrews, we talk about Abraham's faith. But as you, as you read through the chapters that recount the story of Abraham, we see a man who shows faith, and he shows faith in tremendous ways. But then he seems to fail in tremendous ways. Does that fa feel familiar at all to you? <laughs> it kind of feels like you come on church on Sunday, and you, you sing a song, and you hear a word, and you have great faith, and then Monday happens. And, and you get caught up in whatever happens throughout the week, and then you come back maybe again to God. Maybe it's in your devotional time. Maybe it's in a song that, that you play, and, and you get reminded of God and his promises and what he has for you, but then something derails you. Is it, is it just me that has a cycle, or is this humanity? And this is Abraham, and this is the Old Testament, and this is Israel. I mean, even in the book of Judges, we see seven cycles of God rescuing them, and they're like, okay, we're going to serve you, and then it just all falls apart. And, and after every one of those cycles, it falls apart even more. But God has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a promise. I love what the message this morning. Alice says, where is your confidence? The song that we sang, that faithful you are and faithful forever you will be. Because a promise is made here in Genesis. And so we're going to go to Genesis chapter 15. And there's a, there's a difference between this promise and the other promises that are given to Abraham. They're all the same promise. 
the promise of your descendants, that, you have, that God is going to pour out his blessing upon Abram, and that, that blessing will pour out not just upon Abraham's family, but upon the whole earth. This is a promise for the world. But there's, a, there's something different that happens here in Genesis 15, because in Genesis 15, God makes a covenant with Abraham, and it's an interesting covenant. Genesis 15, chapter nine, or verse 9, let's see here. It says, the Lord told him, he's speaking to Abraham, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Anybody got those lying around? So Abram presented all these to him and killed them. Then he cut each animal down the middle and laid the halves side by side. He did not, however, cut the birds in half. I don't know why. Some vultures swooped down to eat the carcasses, but Abraham chased them away. Good job, Abraham. As the sun was going down, Abram fell into a deep sleep, and a terrifying darkness came down over him. Then the Lord said to Abram, You can be sure that your descendants will be strangers in a foreign land. There they will be oppressed as slaves for 400 years, but I will punish the nation that enslaves them, and in the end they will come away with great wealth. For, as for you, you will die in peace and be buried at a ripe old age. After four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites did not yet warrant their destruction. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> After the sun went down, darkness fell. Abraham saw a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch pass between the halves of the carcasses. This is strange. So the Lord made a covenant with Abram that day and said, I have given the land to your descendants all the way from the border of Egypt to the Euphrates, to the great Euphrates River, the land now occupied by a bunch of people. What is going on here? <laughs> God makes a promise to Abraham, and he's made this promise before, and he's going to make it again if you, if you read through the, the, all the chapters. But here, something different happens in this covenant that God makes with Abram. And this covenant is, is this method, this, this form, although it's not something that I've ever done, <laughs> and I don't think, I, don't, I hope you've never done anything like this, <laughs> But it would be something that Abram would have been familiar with. God is speaking to Abram in a language, in a form, in a covenant that Abram would have been familiar with. But there's a difference of what God does here and what is normally done. Because what they do is they take these animals, they cut them in half, they spread them out. And what, what this meant to be, and you might have heard this before, is that they make this promise, they make this covenant, and then they walk between the halves of these animals, basically saying that if I break this covenant... May it be to me what just happened to these animals. That sound very serious? So this heifer that's cut in half, that's a cow, right? Heifer? This, this cow that's cut in half and all the blood is all over there. God is saying, or whoever makes the covenant, whoever makes this type of a covenant, this type of a, an illustration, is saying, if I break this covenant, may it be done to me what we did to these animals. But what happens here in, this, in Genesis chapter 15 is unique because God puts Abraham to sleep and then I love, I love how it says, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch, very similar to the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire that leads the Israelites throughout Egypt. God is very consistent or throughout, the, throughout the land. And God passes through, by himself, passes through these cut-in-half animals, saying, if I break this covenant, I let this be done. Let, they're not going to put this on you, Abraham. We're going to put all of this on me. You're not even taking part in this covenant. God is making a covenant with himself to fulfill his promise to Abraham. He's taking all the weight 
all the responsibility, all the fulfillment on himself and not putting any of it on Abraham. Abraham has faith and he trusts and he believes, but he can't make this happen. He can't make this promise be fulfilled. God is going to do it. Abraham trusts God. In the previous verse, up in verse 6, it says, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. It says, Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. It doesn't mean that he was righteous in the sense, I googled righteous yesterday, it says morally right or justifiable, virtuous. That's not what the scripture is saying about Abraham. The scriptures are not saying that he is morally right or justifiable or virtuous. What, he, what he's saying there, when God says that he is righteous, he's saying that you are in right standing with me, that you are in right relationship with me, that you are in, I'm going to put you in a covenant relationship with me if you follow this passage. So God is, is seeing Abraham's faith. He's seeing Abraham's belief. And because of his belief, because of his faith, because of who he trusts, God is saying, you're in right relationship with me. Does that sound familiar? That's the invitation that is given to us. That if we trust, if we believe, that puts us in right relationship and God's gonna do the work of all what that means. God's gonna make it possible, but it's on us to trust. It's on us to believe. It's on us to have faith. And it's counted to him as righteousness. But the roller coaster continues. In Genesis 16, like they, I don't even want to go into it at all. They just, it seems like Abraham gets these great promises. He has faith, and then he does something stupid. You know, these, these, things, that, these things that they do, they never work. <laughs> you know, he, it's either he goes before, or earlier he goes into Egypt, but later he goes before somebody else, and he tells his wife, um, I'm nervous of what they're going to do to me, so pretend you're my sister. Does that ever work? <laughs> Or we don't know what we're going to do, or not having, the, not having a child for, as an heir, and so, hey, why don't you sleep with my servant and see if that works? Does that ever work? <laughs> like, we know that this is not, not going to work out well, but, see, but they do it again and again. Genesis 19, we see the depths of depravity with Sodom and, and Lot's daughters and the things that happen there. It's, it's incredibly depraved. Abraham nearly blows it again in Genesis chapter 20. In Genesis chapter 21, Isaac is finally is born again, but then is born again, is, is born. But then Abraham again blows it with, with Hagar and Ishmael. And we see this, this cycle of Abraham expressing faith and yet failing tremendously. And then we come to Genesis chapter 22, and this is where we're kind of just going to land the plane a little bit with Genesis chapter 22. And what is a story that is a familiar story. If you, if you grew up listening to, to Bible stories, and, but yet it, w it should be one that disturbs us a bit. It's a story of, of Abraham being asked to sacrifice his son. Genesis 22, verse 1, and I don't have this on the screen. Don't worry about it. But it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, here I am. It says, take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. 
and I, I don't have a, a ton of time to, to unpack all of this, but have you ever wondered why Abraham didn't say, what? You want me to do what? Is it just me, or is this like, why does Abraham just say, okay? Am I, are we allowed to ask that question of the Bible? <laughs> what? And as I said before, God is speaking to Abraham in, in language that he understands, and this is not a new concept in the world, that when you study ancient cultures, so much of it ends in child sacrifice and trying to appease the gods, you know, across cultures, across our planet. As, as we discover new cultures throughout, throughout time, we see that so often in an, an attempt to be right with God, in an attempt to have God on our side, we keep giving more and giving more and giving more until eventually so many cultures across, across time ultimately turn to sacrificing their firstborn child, that which was so precious, in order to get on God's right side, in order to get whatever we're trying to get from God, in order to have the crops grow or, or whatever it is. And this is not a new idea. And so when God asked Isaac, I'm sorry, when God asked Abraham to go up this mountain and to sacrifice his son, this is something that would have been familiar to Abraham. And I'm sure not a joyful request, but have been, all right, I understand. And there is this idea of this test because Abraham has expressed faith and then failed, expressed faith and then fell, expressed faith and then, and then chose the incorrect path. But we're going to do this one more time and say, what, Abraham, where, do you, where is your trust? Are you going to trust me? But what we see ultimately in this passage is that Abraham takes his son and they go up this mountain and he prepares to trust God and to sacrifice his son and God stops him and says, I have the sacrifice right here, the ram caught in the thicket. I'm gonna provide the sacrifice. And that this even this, this promise that's made to Abraham several chapters before, and that God says, I'm gonna be the provider, I'm gonna be the one that makes this happen, I'm gonna put it on me. He does it here in this passage, again with Abraham and Isaac saying, I know I see that you trust me, and I'm gonna take the responsibility, I'm gonna be the provider. I'm going to be the one that makes the sacrifice, that brings the sacrifice to the table. Does that make sense? And so he's speaking to Abraham, and this is, it's really a tough passage. You know, we like to just read these and be like, oh man, he trusted God, but this is a weird thought. But what we see is consistent. God invites us to trust him, but God says, I'm going to pull through. I'm going to provide. At the end of the day, I'm going to make the sacrifice. What we see throughout Genesis, what we see throughout these stories is God revealing himself, even in our brokenness, even in our failures, even in our sin, we see God clearer and clearer. Go read through these passages and see what it says about God, even going back um, to Hagar as, as, as she is thrown out and as she's, she's wandering through the desert and God reveals himself to her and she says, this, that, that I know God is a God who hears, that this God is a God who sees me. That's what we want to see in these passages is we see a God who hears us. We see a God who sees us where we're at. We see a God who will make a way, who will take it on himself 
to, to reestablish things, to get things back on track. So here Abraham brings his son up Mount Moriah, and it's interesting because the, the, the very place that Abraham brings Isaac to is where David plans the tabernacle. It's where Solomon builds the temple. And in that place where, where, where worship is lifted to God, where, where Abraham declares who God is over him, where he trusts God with everything, is the place where, where so many of his descendants are going to do the same. So the story of Abraham is one where he does have faith, and we want to, we want to acknowledge his faith, we want, to, we want to lift it up, but we also see a very flawed man, just like us. And we all, or many of us might be familiar with the old tomb where we say, Father Abraham had many sons, <laughs> and many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. <laughs> Father Abraham. <laughs> I'd like to say I don't remember the rest of the lyrics, but I do. I want to go to Romans chapter 4. This one will be on the screen. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it says, Abraham was, humanly speaking, I love just the way Paul writes that. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. It, it was, humanly speaking, him but ultimately it was God. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, would he have had something to boast about? Uh, Paul is writing this to, to a Jewish audience that very well knows Abraham doesn't have a lot of good deeds written about him. For the scriptures tell us that Abraham believed God, verse 3, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. He put him in right relationship. So when people work, see, it says, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something that they have earned. But people who are accounted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. We don't earn our place before God by what we do, because... Thank God, <laughs> because we don't earn it. It's just, Paul, Paul says these things, and we're like, oh, that makes sense, but it's just, it makes sense. You know that you don't earn your right standing because you know you. <laughs> Jump down to verse 13. It says, clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God that comes by faith. If God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. For the law always brings punishment on those who try to obey it. The only way to avoid breaking the law is to have no law to break. <laughs> so the promise is received by faith and is given as a free gift. And we are all certain to receive it, whether or not we live according to the law of Moses if we have faith like Abraham's, for Abraham is the father of all those who believe. This is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. God made a covenant with Abraham and a promise to fulfill it. You know, Judaism even today is waiting for the world to be redeemed. They're waiting for a savior. They're waiting for a Christ. 
I was reading a Rabbi Jacob Staub wrote, wrote in a redeemed world, so just saying the, what, what a redeemed world will look like. In a redeemed world, swords will be turned into plowshares. Nobody will go hungry. The powerless will not be oppressed. And justice will prevail everywhere. This was the vision of the biblical prophets, and it remains the foundation of the Jewish hope for the future. But what the scriptures tell us, what the New Testament tells us, what Jesus tells us is that Jesus is the inaugurator of all of that. That Jesus came and he did the work. He sacrificed himself. God sacrificed himself is what we confess. That Jesus came, that God sent his son, that God came and lived among us and took all the weight on himself in order to set things right. And then what we see in the New Testament and we see in God and, and all that he is saying is that Jesus starts the work. He pays the price. He does what is necessary. And now we get to walk it out. We have to apply it. We have to receive it. We have to acknowledge it. And then we get to be a part of showing that to the world. That all the way back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, where God puts Adam and Eve at the center of creation, and he says that you are my image bearers, that that you are supposed to reflect me, that you are supposed to be my image in the world. We are supposed to reflect God. That has been the intention since the beginning. And then God makes things right. Jesus pays the price. And his desire, his desire is that we, as Christ followers, as those who trust Christ, as those who trust God, that we show what God is like to everyone around us that we are his image bearers, that we do these things. What is, Jake, I'm gonna read these words again from this rabbi. In a redeemed world, swords will be turned into plowshares. Nobody will go hungry. The powerless will not be oppressed and justice will prevail everywhere. This was the vision of the biblical prophets and remains the foundation of the Jewish hope for the future. That's what we get to be a part of showing the world. That the hungry are fed, the powerless are not, are not oppressed, and justice prevails. That's what we get to be a part of doing. That's, that's our responsibility. That as we have faith, as we have trust, God did the work, and now we get to be his image. We get to be the ones who, who walk this out. That Jesus is the initiator of all of this. I want to close with, with 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we have stopped, read, later read what comes before this, but just hear this point. So because of what he said before, we have stopped evaluating others <laughs> from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to him through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For, in, for God was in Christ reconciling the world, him, the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. This is the message of the church, or it's supposed to be. This is what we want our message to be this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal 
through us, through the church. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. I invite you to stand with me this morning. If you've acknowledged who Jesus is in your life, then you, then you know, you understand what these words mean for you. And if you've never acknowledged Jesus as Lord over your life, you have the opportunity to do that. That we all, it's not just that we make this one-time decision to trust God. It's a, it's a lifetime of decisions to trust God. It's a lifetime of decisions to say, God, I know you, you have got this. That I'm going to trust you. That you are where my confidence is found, as, as we said earlier today. And so today, again, you're given the opportunity, whether this is your first time or your thousandth time or wherever you're at, to just trust God with your life. But it, as we're seeing here, it doesn't, it doesn't end there. That Christianity is not a spectator sport. Everybody gets to get off the bench in Christianity. We all are invited to get out of our seats and to show the world what love looks like, to show the world what peace looks like, to show what it means to not be oppressed, to, to lift up those who are, to feed those who need it, to give water to those who need it, to clothe those who are naked. That, that is on us, that we get, to, we get to show that, which I think is an incredible opportunity. And even this week, as, as we welcome kids into this, this facility and we have, I'm hoping for a record number of kids, 200 plus, 250 kids, in our, in our facility, we're showing them what God is like, to show them what peace is like, to show them what family could look like. Because we all need it. We all need a better example. And then as we go to Alcoa Park next week and, and we love Messina because we love Messina. And then as you see on the back of your handout, we're gonna be loving Ogdensburg and loving Malone because we love the North Country. And we invite people to come to our service and to have a barbecue after next week. It's all to show God's love and to be ambassadors of reconciliation. Why don't we make that our prayer? That we, you, me, commit to being an ambassador of reconciliation. Jesus, we thank you for, for what you've done for us. God, even going all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, as you made a promise, as you made a covenant with Abraham, and you took all the responsibility on yourself to make things right, and how you sent your son, how you came among us to live, to love, to show what, what, what you are like, and ultimately to pay an ultimate price to lay down your life for your friends, as you say, for us, for the world you take the responsibility. God, we receive your gift. God, we, we trust in you. But God, we receive this commission to be ambassadors of reconciliation, to show the world, to truly show the world what you are like. That is, that is our privilege. That is our honor. That is our responsibility. That is, that is our burden, to show the world what you are like. God, help us to do that this week. Help us to do that as we welcome kids, as we go to the park, as we, as we have barbecues and all the things that we do. God, may people see you through us, in us, through our words, through our actions, through all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Have a great week. Be an ambassador of reconciliation.
Thank you for listening to NTC Messina's podcast. We hope you join us next week and have a blessed day.